This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Hey everybody, my name is Kevin Simmons. I am the lead pastor here at Vortex, and it's great to have you with us. I know when you watch a a video like that, maybe if you're like me, you're like, wow, this is the perfect church. But if that's any kind of thought that you had, let me just go ahead and squelch those thoughts, because this is not the perfect church. If you're visiting, hoping to find the perfect church, as long as I'm the pastor, it's not perfect because I'm so far away from that. But we are excited because God has given us an invitation, even though we are not perfect, to get better. And so for the past four weeks, we have been in a series called Better Because Perfect is Not an Option. And we discovered that perfect is a standard that God measures us against. It is the most loving thing that he could do because it doesn't ever let us off or enable us in our sinfulness, but we're not ever going to reach the standard of perfection because only one man who ever walked the earth has, and his name was Jesus, and your name and my name is not Jesus, all right? And so because of that, we do have the invitation through the message of Jesus to get better, and we've kind of examined this over the past few weeks. So just so that you know where we are and where we're going, we have one week left in the series, and then we're going to start a series in um, November called unhinged. Now, I I really believe that in our relationships that that series has the potential to change a lot of lives. It's going to look at how we get offended. How many of y'all realize you get offended too easy? Right? Anybody there with me? We get offended too. We live in a world that gets offended pretty easily. And we're going to look at really the fact that it is Satan's plan to create a divided church through offense. And get us unhinged on the inside. And I'm going to go through and show you that plan and show you how to address it in our own personal lives and then in the life of a church. And so I promise you it's going to be one of those series that can radically change the way you live with a lot more peace, a lot more grace, and a lot more fluidity when it comes to dealing with and getting past what could have been offensive. It's going to be a life-changing series. So we've got today and then one more week, and, and we've kind of anchored this series better in this one thought that the message of Jesus doesn't necessarily guarantee that our lives are going to get better, but it does guarantee that we'll get better at life. It doesn't guarantee that the circumstances of your life are going to get better, but it does promise that as we follow him, that the way that we live is going to radically change and transform the quality of our life. We will get better at life. Maybe no more evident than in the first century when the gospel spread around the known world like wildfire. All right, when the circumstances of someone's life who chose Jesus typically radically went downhill very quickly. They faced certain death. They were ostracized from their communities, kicked out of families. But at the same time, people were choosing Jesus over and over and over again. Why? Because the way that believers lived was so radically different. 
They gave and loved and served in such a radically different way that people were like, there has to be something to the message and claim of Jesus. And so as people gave and served and loved the way that they did, people go, oh, I need to be a part of that. Even though I'm probably going to get kicked out of my family, even though I could face death, I choose Jesus. And so we've looked at what does it mean to be better. Last week we looked at what what does it mean to be a better me. This week we're going to look at what does it mean to have a better family. Now, I, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but God designed the family to be a mirror reflection of our relationship with him. We actually see this in Ephesians 5, 31 through 32, where the Bible says, In the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united one. Now look at what it says after that. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. It is an illustration. The family as it's designed is designed to be a living illustration of the love of God and the plan of God for us on earth. So as we get started, I'm going to look at three basic functions of a family. And I want you to see how those things actually are represented in our relationship with God. The first thing that we're going to look at is that family protects for safety. Family protects for safety. I mean, families should be safe zones, all right? The truth is that all y'all crazy. Every single one of you, every single person in here is crazy. Every family has its own version of crazy. And oftentimes, we prefer our version of crazy over other people's crazy, all right? You might be crazy disciplined, so disciplined that before you even eat a Reese's cup, you think about, I've got to do 32 sit-ups to get rid of this Reese's cup. You think that. I know people who think that way. That's crazy discipline. I just eat a Reese's cup, right? But they, that's crazy discipline. And then there's family. Y'all just crazy, okay? Total different kind of crazy. And then there's a whole different level of dysfunctional crazy that we don't want to even get into at this moment. You want to know how you can figure out which kind of crazy your family was? Right? If, when you were in school, if everyone wanted to come and spend the night at your house, you were the crazy family, okay? That's how you know which family you grew up in, all right? But every different family has a different kind of, of crazy. And, and here's the thing about it, that while you may be crazy, the rest of the world doesn't have to know that you're crazy. While you may have weaknesses, the rest of the world doesn't have to know that you have weaknesses. And our families protect us in that regard. Have you noticed that the Lord does that too? I love Psalm 46 verse 1, that God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in the time of trouble. That God knows every weakness in you. And aren't you glad that God knowing your weaknesses comes in and protects you? I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that God protects me from things that I wouldn't even be capable of protecting myself from. Our families also provide for needs. You know, Obviously, when our kids are little, we see that, you know, babies need to be provided for. There's no infant that can feed themselves. And, but 
I, I think that there's an adage that, that is floating around in, in, in a perception that just needs to be addressed in, in this kind of context. And that's, have you, have you ever heard someone described as a, a self-made man? Can I just tell you the truth? There is no such thing as a self-made man. There's no such thing. When you sit down and talk to successful entrepreneurs, one of the things that you'll learn very early on is that this person gave me a shot and then this person showed me how to do this and then I learned from this person and then I saw that all along the way that there were intersections and relationships. And here's why. No one person has the capacity to meet all of their needs. No one person has the capacity to meet all of their needs. And so God puts us in the context of family to provide for our needs. I think this is represented also in the, the way that the Apostle Paul presents our relationship with God as he is in prison in Philippians and writes in Philippians 4.19, at this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which has been given to us in Christ Jesus. How many of y'all are thankful that God has provided for your needs, right? How many of y'all realize that God has provided way above your needs, right? Because all you need to do is travel to an underdeveloped country and determine, right, immediately that there are things that we think we need that we don't need, right? We think that we need the air set to 71, and we argue about whether it should be 71 or 72. 71 or 70. We argue about which way the toilet paper should row over or row under. How many of y'all are over people? How many of y'all are under people? There's a few of us, all right? The rest of y'all are wrong, okay? I'm sorry. I know that the patent was discovered, okay? Just leave me alone about it, all right? One of our biggest arguments in the early years of our marriage was which direction the toilet paper should go, right? How about just be thankful you have toilet paper? Can you imagine not even having that stuff, all right? Think about it. We're blessed. We're blessed. God has provided above and beyond our needs, and the last function of a family is to produce connection, to produce connection. This is so important. I'm going to talk about a principle right now that I'm going to pull out throughout really the rest of the message. And, and just take a moment and let this set in. That connection facilitates care. It's connection that facilitates care. See, this is why in the context of a family, grandma still is taken care of. Even though she may be alone and grandpa died a long time ago, why? Because there is a loving connection to her grandkids and to her kids. And so connection facilitates care. You were hardwired, created for connection. God made you that way. In Genesis 1, chapter, uh, verse 26, the Bible describes the creation of man, and it does it in this language. God said, let us make man in our image. Do you notice the plural? Let us make man in our image. A God who has existed eternally in three different persons in relationship with himself said, let us make man 
in our image. Theologians call that the imago Dei, the image of God that is buried inside of every single one of you, that you are image bearers of God himself. And so when you go to the next chapter where he created Adam, set Adam into perfection, there was literally no problem. He had a huge job to do. And then he said this, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. God created a problem to expose our need. Because we are hardwired. We are created for connection. And think about that. Isn't that exactly what God offers us in our relationship with Him that all of us, all believers all over the world can connect to Him, whether you are wealthy or or poor, whether you are in, in a developed and developing country. It doesn't matter where you are. We get to connect to God. I think that's echoed in this verse in 1 Corinthians 12. The, some of us are Jews, some Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we all have been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. God has offered us a relationship with himself. What a powerful reality to realize that in our relationship with God, God desires to produce a connection and to have connectivity between us and himself. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to take those three functions of a family and I'm going to kind of apply them to three different types of family so we can see how we can be better in three different dimensions. The first type of family, you may have never thought about it this way, but is the global family of God, the church. The global family of God, the church. The second is the local family of God or the local church. And then the last one is what I would call the nuclear family of God are our families. And I'm going to take those three ideas of what families should provide and function in and apply those to those three entities and expressions of family. If you read through the scriptures, you'll notice that there are only two institutions ever instituted by God. The church and the family. And they mirror themselves and the needs that are represented within them. There are big families in the church, and then there are small families that we get to go home with and do life with. So I want to talk about the church. And, you know, in Luke 6, verses 43 through 45, Jesus does this brilliant teaching on trees and fruit. And, and we learn this principle from that, that you can evaluate something by what it's producing. And, and that's kind of where we get the, the truth and the saying that you can judge a tree by its fruit, right? You can judge a tree by, in other words, if you look at someone's life and there's good things going on, they probably have good things going on in the background. If you look at a family and their kids are, seem to be going in the right direction, there's probably some good things happening in the background. But, but if you see bad fruit, there's probably some bad things going on in the background. 
It, it's not a comprehensive way of evaluation, but it does give us a, a kind of entry point to understanding a way to evaluate. And if you look right now at the fruit that the church is bearing, we just have to be honest. There's something off in the church as it exists globally. The church isn't as effective as it needs to be. The church isn't producing what it should. We know that church attendance generally across the country is going and trending downward. We know that church attendance, especially globally, especially in the Western world, is trending downward. We know that the number of reported salvations are trending downward at the same time population is trending upward. The church is losing its effectiveness. And I would venture to say that it's because there are some things behind the scenes that are wrong. Let me just remind you of what the church is. The church is God's instrument to bring reconciliation to the world. It is not a country club. It is not a place that you come so that you feel better. It is not comprehensive counseling. Okay? It is not a social club or a country club with a cross on top of it. It is God's instrument to bring reconciliation to the world. We see this very plainly in 2 Corinthians 5.18 where the Apostle Paul, having just described all the grace and mercy and goodness of God, says, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ and has given us the task of reconciling people to him. I love the old King James Version there because it says that he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. It's the priority of the church. It's to see people reconciled to God. And I think that when we think in terms of providing safety, as a church globally for years, what we've done is we've tried to create places that were sterile. Where when you came to our church, you didn't have to deal with people who dealt with whatever it is that you want to fill in the blank. We've created a sterile expression of Christianity, not a messy expression of Christianity. And in doing so, we've made it, listen carefully, we've made it not okay to be not okay. You ever notice the kind of people that hung out with Jesus in the Scriptures? Most of them were not okay. So much so that the religious leaders of the day criticized him by saying, oh, Jesus, he's a friend of sinners. That wasn't a compliment. We, we throw it around today like it's a compliment. It was a, it was a slander in those days. The people who hung out with Jesus were not okay. Somehow they felt comfortable. They felt loved and accepted. They felt like it was okay to be not okay around Jesus. But the truth is, is that in most of our churches, it's not okay to be not okay. Which is why many of you will have a fight on the way to church. And you'll look back at your kids and put on your face right now. Act good. All right? I can't count the times. This is no joke. I've sat down with a young adult. And I've asked them, where, where did that moment when your faith began to crumble come from? And they would describe that exact moment. 
We'd get to church. Mom and dad had been fighting all weekend. And they would go and put on the perfect face and tell us that we needed to act like the perfect kids. And it all seemed fake. Why? Because in most churches, it's not okay to be not okay. So you want to know what I think we need? If we're going to have better churches, I think we need to be willing for it to be okay to not be okay. Can I give you an example of this? Mental health. Mental health issues. Because you want to know something? Depression and anxiety are real things that people struggle with. And the church has been one of those places where if you come in and you go, hey, you know what, I'm dealing with depression, people will go, well, there's got to be some kind of sin in your life. What are you doing wrong? I'm dealing with anxiety. Well, the Bible says be anxious for nothing. Well, I'm trying. I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I, I believe that scripture. But we've made it not okay to be not okay. And there's a lot of areas that this applies to. And so what happens? People come in and they shut up and they don't talk about the things that matter. The things that God really wants them to be vulnerable. And we need to be willing for it to be okay to be not okay. But when we think about needs, you know, Abraham Maslow did a phenomenal work in psychology of trying to understand what our personal needs are. And he developed this, what they call the hierarchy of needs. If you've ever taken a psychology class, you've learned about that. The most basic element elementary kind of need is that we need physical needs. We need shelter and we need water and food and those kind of things. But he said the greatest need that a person had was self-actualization. I want to read you the quote that he developed to describe what self-actualization means. That what a man can be, he must be. Now, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit connects this so that you can see this. What a man can be, he must be. Which means that embedded inside of every one of you is an image of who you should be. Of what you can be. Of the way things should be. Do you remember what we just talked about? The greatest need that people have is Jesus and to choose to follow him and to embrace the life that he designed for them. In, in the first century, the church went around doing great things. They fed the poor. They, they clothed the hungry. But they did all of those things with the background of the intention of seeing those people reconciled to God. But somewhere along the line, the church lost the purpose of what good it was doing. And we've just done good for good's sake. But that's not the job of the church. The job of the church is to see people reconciled to God. So I think if we're going to think about providing for the needs of people, especially globally, we need to realize that the greatest need that people have is Jesus. And we have the opportunity to point them to him. We have the opportunity to point them to him. 
And then when we think about the need and the function of providing connection, I want to give you this statement. I want you to think, just spend a moment thinking about this with me. That we are overly focused on what makes us unique instead of what should cause us to unite. Leave that statement up there for just a moment. That we as believers, those who exist in the church, especially those who are lifelong, devoted followers of Christ, we are far too often focused on what makes us unique instead of focused on what should cause us to unite. And that's almost all of us. Let me tell you how that conversation goes. You're at work, having lunch with a coworker. Hey, do you go to church? Yeah, I do. Where do you go? I go to Vortex. Where do you go? I go to such and such Baptist church. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're we're a little different than that. We have a live band. We do songs that they actually play on the radio. Like I know them and I can sing along with them, and it's so loud at our church that when I sing, people don't hear me. So I'm not embarrassed. And our preacher, he doesn't he doesn't use a a podium or anything like that because we meet in the movie theater and we don't have one of those things. Yeah, I guess your church, you probably sing hymns, right? And your, your pastor probably screams a lot and yells a lot and talks about hell a lot. And, you know, you have those conversations, right? Where we accentuate what makes us different instead of, oh, you go to church? That's awesome. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that you've surrendered your life to following him? Wow, me too. We have that in common. And now we can encourage each other and we can challenge each other and we can talk about the things that we have in common. See, far too often we focus on the things that make us unique. It's actually not just happening within the church. It's happening outside of the church, especially cultural sociologists are calling the the phenomenon, uh, they're actually calling it factioning based on um, a, a book, a series of novels, the Divergent series, where um, the people were separated into factions and the, the phrase out of that series was faction over blood. And here's what's happening in the world that we live in. That you have most likely elevated your opinions about how the world should be above opinions to facts. And you no longer engage in conversation or listen to anyone who has different opinions. You watch TV news programs that agree with you. You listen to blogs um, or listen to news programs, read blogs, read newspapers, all of that. All the information in the bubble that you live in is all surrounded by people who agree with you. Constantly reinforcing your opinions. Just let me ask you a question and be honest. Have you ever been wholeheartedly wrong? Have you ever been wholeheartedly wrong? Completely convinced that it was right, only to find out that it was wrong. See, the problem is that the answer to everyone is yes, I have been. And when we faction, the end result of that is that we're not listening to people who challenge our views and opinions. We're not listening to people who are devoted Christ followers who look at issues from a different perspective than we do. We immediately dismiss them 
instead of engaging in meaningful conversation and allowing the iron to sharpen the iron. You know, the Bible says several times that iron sharpens iron, or as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's conflict. That's having a meaningful conversation with somebody who holds tightly to a different perspective than you. And it's sad because the Bible warns us of this. It says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is death. Which means that you can be wholeheartedly wrong and headed down the wrong path. And so if we really want to change the way that we connect as believers, we need to be willing to engage in meaningful dialogue with people who are different than us. We need to be willing to engage in meaningful dialogue with people who are different than us. You name it, there's somebody on the other side of your issue that thinks differently about it. And I promise you there are people who are wholeheartedly sold out to Christ who may think different. And I just want to ask you, who has a different perspective than you do in your world right now? Or is your world only filled with people who think the way you do and have the same opinions that you do? Because social research is showing us that most of us, that's us. So imagine if the church could actually start doing those three things. Not just our church, but the church around the world could become a safe place where it's okay to not be okay. And then once you're here, we realize that the greatest need that you have is Jesus. And we point you to Jesus. We point you to Jesus. And we point you to Jesus. And we trust Him to take care of you. And then we start to have meaningful conversations with people who are different than us. To learn about things that we need to change and grow in. Imagine what could happen in the church. I can tell you what would happen. Our influence would radically grow. Now let's think about the local church, the expression of church that looks like Vortex. And I'm going to speak specifically about our church today in those three categories. What does it mean to be safe? Let me give you this idea. I think everyone needs a safe place to process life. Everybody needs a safe place to process life. Everybody does. You do, I do, everybody does. And every once in a while, you'll come in here if you're a regular attender, and every once in a while, I'm going to bring up a topic of conversation, and you're going to go, please don't go there. Kevin, no. No. I see where you're going. Stop. I don't want to talk about that today, Kevin, in your heart, right? It's happened to all of you. And the reason is, is that you don't want to process something that is hard or difficult or maybe painful. But you probably need to. And the good thing about a local church is it's a safe place to process your life. I can tell you this, that engaging, this is in your notes, engaging spiritual life in a local church sustains and propels your journey. It sustains you. It keeps you going. It keeps you having those conversations. It keeps you asking the questions. It keeps you saying, am I loving my spouse the way I should? Am I being the kind of parent I need to? Am I being the person that I'm supposed to be? And it propels you to take the next step towards that person. And it is a safe place to do that. Let's talk about needs. And meeting 
needs. I, I'm just going to give a, a few blanket statements that are important to us. First one is that our greatest need, my greatest need, your greatest need is Jesus. That's not just something that we just say. I mean, eternally, our greatest need is Jesus. Not just right now, but tomorrow, the next day, forever, our greatest need is Jesus. In our communities, greatest need is Jesus. Now, I know that there's a lot of argument that could be made about other sorts of needs, that, that we have poverty and we have drug addiction, and I'm aware of all of that. But at the root of all of that is a depravity of Jesus. Our community's greatest need is to be reconciled to Jesus. That's the greatest need represented in our community. Because reconciled people begin to work through addiction. Reconciled people begin to be rescued from poverty. Reconciled people begin to treat their spouses better and step up and become the kind of husbands and fathers they're supposed to be. The ministry is reconciliation. And so, as a young church, we've prioritized our resources and they are limited towards reconciliation. Which means that there are other things that are maybe present in other churches where there are needs that are being met in different ways that are not being met in our church in that way. And it's simply this, that we have made the intentional decision to prioritize our resources towards that. Why? Because it's our greatest calling. It's our greatest calling. It's to see people reconciled to Jesus. So let me just give you the way I think about needs for our church. Our greatest need collectively is to be obedient to Jesus. Notice I said Jesus. Not to you. Not to what you think we need to do. Not to what I think we need to do. We need to be obedient to Jesus. That's our greatest need. In the greatest calling on our church, number one at the top of the list is to see people reconciled, those who are lost and far away from God, to be brought into a life-giving relationship with Him. That's our greatest need. So let's talk about locally especially, what does it mean to be connected? Again, let me remind you of that phrase. Connection facilitates care. Connection facilitates care. I don't care what church you go to. It is impossible for you to be cared for if you are not connected. It is impossible for you to be cared for if you are not connected. And let me explain what connection means, okay? Connection is often represented by the people that you have the strongest relationships with. Can I just stop and say something? And I'm just going to say this with a lot of humility and honesty. I cannot be, Kevin Simmons cannot be the primary source of connection for our church. I can't. There was a time and place that I could when our church was under 150 and I could know everybody. But the truth is, I don't even know all of y'all anymore. And for our church to grow, it kind of has to be that way. 
They say that you double the attendance of your average Sunday to know how many people attend your church. Right now we're somewhere around 400. That means that around 800 people actively attend Vortex. I, I can't be 800 people's best friend. But I promise you that there was a best friend that invited you here. There was somebody that loves you and knows you and cares for you that invited you here. And see, here's the thing. That connection is what invites care. See, oftentimes we like to think about church in an organized way, that the only way that the church is actually caring for me is if there's some sort of organization that happens behind it doing something for me. But... Let me just say this. If your best friend invited you to come to church here and you have a bad day and you need prayer and you reach out to your best friend and they're like, hey, I'm coming, I'm praying for you, then you know what? The church is there because they're the church. If your mom or dad invited you to come to church here and you had a bad day and you called and said, mom and dad, I just, I just need you. I need somebody to come over and just be with me. And they come and they be. Then the church is there because they are the church. Because so many times we miss that it's connection that facilitates care. So if we want to improve and have better connection, let me show you two things. We need to engage in meaningful relationships and be willing to share our needs. And be willing to share our needs. Those are two things that must happen. Now, I can honestly tell you, because we have prioritized our resources towards relation or towards reconciliation, that this is an area that we are still growing in. But in our church, I promise you that you will be cared for if you have meaningful relationships and you share what you need. Now, in a church of 80, people know what you need. They know because they're there with you. It's like a big, small group. But in a church our size, the only way that needs can be met is if you ask for it. And so the only way to establish that meaningful connection is to engage in meaningful relationships, build that connection, and then share what you need. Now let's talk about our families, our own individual families. You know, when it comes to safety, I said this earlier, every family has its own version of crazy. Some of y'all come from the crazy fun families. Some of y'all come from the crazy disciplined families. But every one of your families are disciplined and crazy and have its own version of crazy. And when we think about safety, I love this verse out of Proverbs 31, verse 23, that's talking about a wife, and it's describing her business dealings as she's going in and out of the city. And it says this, that her husband is well known at the city gates can read past that and miss this. But do you know what that means? What it's implying for us to know? That as she goes about her business, she speaks well of her husband. She protects him. His weaknesses are not what she talks about. His failures are not what she talks about. He's known as being noble and known well because of the way that she speaks about him. 
So our families need to be safe zones. I would tell you this today. If you want a better family, you need to create a safe zone in your family where they can be themselves and being themselves is enough. Take a moment and think about that for a second. If you're a parent in here today, have you created an environment in your family where your kids can be themselves and being themselves is enough? Or are you constantly reminding them of who they are not and who they should be? If you're married today, think about how you treat your spouse. Have you created an environment in your family where your spouse can be themselves and being themselves is enough? It's enough. You're safe. Have you done that? Because that level of safety can radically transform a family. Now let's talk about meeting needs. If you think about the family, especially our nuclear families being a mirror image of our relationship with God, what is our greatest need in our relationship with God? See, at times it may be provision that we need God to provide for us. At times it may be healing because we're sick. But eternally our greatest need is grace. It's grace. We don't have a relationship with God outside of his grace. And I think one of the most challenging verses for me is, as a dad, as a husband, is Ephesians 6, 4, where it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. The implication of this verse is that we can treat our kids in such a way that we actually push them away from God rather than pull them towards Him. You see, far too often, we want to be loved the way that God loves us, but we don't want to love other people that way. But if we want to radically change our families, I would tell you this, that you need to love your family the way that Jesus loves you. If you ask our kids, hey, do, do you love me? They'll say, yeah. And if you ask them, hey, how do you love me? They'll go with lots and lots of grace. Because it takes a lot of grace to love you, Dad. Why? Because grace sustains a relationship. And we need to love people the same way that God has loved us. Now think about care again. Connection. And that phrase that connection facilitates care. Connection is the reason that Grandma's taken care of even after Grandpa's passed away because... She's connected to her kids and to her grandkids, and there's a level of connectivity that provides care to her even after a caretaker that lived in the home is now gone. And see, the problem with many of our families, and I, I believe the reason that the level of connectivity isn't what it needs to be, is because of who is the primary point of connection. So let me just ask you that question. Think through that real quickly. Who is the primary point of connection in your family? Is it you, Mom? Is it you, Dad? Who is the primary point of connection? Now, I'm going to ask a caveat question that I just want you to think about. Who is the ultimate source of truth in your family? Is it you, Mom? Is it you, Dad? 
or, or could it be that that could be radically different? If all of a sudden you took the pride out of the mix and said the most connecting point in our family is going to be Jesus. Instead of me being at the center of my family and me being the point that everybody connects to, we're going to make Jesus the center of our family. Instead of me being the person that everybody looks to as the the final say, the ultimate opinion, we're going to make Jesus the center of our family. His truth is going to be the greatest truth for us. Imagine what your families would look like. Imagine coming home from work, looking at your spouse and saying, how was your day? Well, it was pretty good, but you know, I was thinking about, and today I was just really struggling, but Jesus was teaching me, and then they, they, they respond, well, 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 Jesus was, today Jesus was teaching me this, and your kids walk in and go, hey, you know, I was at school this, today, and I was, I was at lunch, and I was looking, and I realized that Jesus just started teaching me this, and all of a sudden, Jesus is the center of your family. Can you imagine what that would mean? Because here's the thing. You're not always going to get it right if you're a parent. You're not always going to get it right if you're a spouse. But Jesus is always going to get it right. And we have to make a decision to do this, and this fundamentally changes everything, to lead your family to Jesus. Make Him the center. Make Him the the truth, and everything changes. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.